Welcome to the Wealth Radar podcast, where we scan the landscape and navigate the noise of investing and personal wealth. I'm Paul Fowler, and today I'm joined by Paul Horn and Daniel Underwood. We're certified financial planners from Fowler Group, and in this episode, we'll discuss the top performing super funds for 2023, according to various superannuation rating houses. But firstly today, noticeable omission um, from the podcast is Jason. He's uh, actually out of the country for five to six weeks during Europe, working, in inverted working. commas, <laughs> um, with some of the best financial planners around the world, um, being in the Gaia group. So he's out there uh, learning and um, and in six weeks' time, hopefully we'll come back with some great stuff to talk about with him. But let me just touch base on what we'll talk about today. got an article or an email through one of the, uh, or newsletter, through money management, which we get these sort of every day. And basically the article was, are you with the top 10 super funds of 2022-23? This time of year, sort of everyone brings out a, a top 10 once all the, the results are in. I'll just touch base briefly on the article and then, then I'll flick it over to the boys, get their comments. So basically it says um, they compared the top balanced fund options for the year ending 2023, um, according to a, a ratings mob called Super Ratings. Um, top performer, 13.3%. Um, uh, what else do we have? The balance funds, they say, are those with um, growth assets of between 60 and 70% of their portfolio. Um, what else? We, the number one position was EES Super, which is, I think, a, um emergency services hmm. super fund. Um, they, were, they were the number one. Um, what else? They had about 70, I think about 72% of the money invested in, in growth assets. Um, they did talk about, um, funds with exposure to global equities doing quite well. Funds with exposure with a heap of unlisted property performed worse. Mm. Um, and they did say in this article, which isn't included in their top 10 is that a lot of the actual industry, um, index funds performed really well because of their high exposure to equities as opposed to, to unlisted, which is which is interesting as well. So I'll throw it over to you, boys. Top 10 Super Funds 2023. Firstly, about the article and your thoughts in general. Horny, what do you got? Oh, yeah, I suppose it's uh, with these articles or when people look at these lists, it's just a snapshot at that point in time of, of what yep what were the, the best performing uh, funds in the last... Twelve months, and I suppose, yeah. If you if you've been in the top ten, you I suppose you you feel a, a bit good that you might have been in the in the top ten. But as we'll probably discuss a bit further on, these lists can change quite dramatically every year. So just because you might have been in the top uh, top ten performing funds last year doesn't doesn't mean you're going to be in the top ten performing funds next year. And as you said, a lot of it has to do with um, that issue of asset allocation, <clears throat> and um, in terms of Global shares uh, went really well in the last 12 months. So obviously some of those funds that, that had a bit more in global shares as part of their overall allocation, they, they're probably the ones that performed yeah. a bit a bit better. Mm. Um, you said before there with, with these lists, they've, they've indicated that, um, that they have growth assets, which are usually shares and property of between 60 to 70%. We've seen in the past this can actually even vary a bit more depending on the labels that people put on growth assets. So often things called infrastructure assets, which are actually very growthy, 
they'll often list as defensive assets, but mm-hmm. for, for most people are actually a growth asset. They'll often treat things as hybrids, which is a, a type of fixed interest investment that actually is convertible into a share. It takes on a more risky nature. Uh, often the super funds will class hybrid investments as fixed interest and not as actually growth assets. Mm. So sometimes you, you, you may find that a fund that could have uh, performed particularly well uh, that's calling themselves a balance fund mm. may have actually had a lot higher uh, investment allocation in what we would consider growth assets as opposed to what how the fund is labelling growth assets. So that's also an important thing mm. and something that a lot of people probably don't necessarily understand. They just see the label of a balance mm. fund and think, oh, yeah, I'm investing in a balance yeah. fund. That's what I'm investing in. And, and yeah. Horny, is that, is, is that okay? Is that is that right? Like should they be allowed to? Oh, I'm not saying that it's. Uh, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but unless you, I suppose, fully understand the nature of all the different types of investments that a super fund might invest in, yeah. it's hard to, I suppose, come up with. Okay, how much risk am I taking on with this fund as opposed to this other fund over here that is also labelling themselves a balanced fund? Yeah. Am I, am I actually taking on the same level of risk? to try to get approximately the same return. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we sort of discussed it in a podcast or a number ago yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. trying to compare funds and that was- It's the, extremely hard. The question mm. that came up. Well, yeah. I think it's like a lot of things in our industry that mm. the um, the language is quite yeah. quite different. Nothing's uh, uniform. To give you an example, there's a list. So the top 10, the ESS Super Accumulation Fund, the, the fund was there, it was called Basic Growth. So they've compared balance funds and it's called basic <laughs> growth. Yeah. And I had a, I actually went on the website and had a look. And as of 1st of July 2023, that same fund is now called – so it was called ba- basic growth. It's now called balanced growth, yeah. the same, same fund. So, so um, yeah. Sh- should there be like a uniform language or uniform descriptions that, you know, everyone should have to adopt? Like is that possible in – well, I, I don't, I don't know that there is because you've got to, because they're all allowed this variance in, in yeah. uh, like tolerance of what percentage they're allowed to invest in in every asset class. So, I don't know. Unless you said right, all balanced funds, you must be a balanced fund if your tolerance is sixty to seventy percent growth or something like that. Maybe. Yeah. Because they got this tolerance, it makes it really yeah. hard. I don't know. Yeah, and then it's also harder in terms of what, what actually, as I said before, what people class as a growth asset and what some fund managers class as a defensive asset. Mm. And even there's there's even huge differences in property and the differences between, say, unlisted property and yeah. super funds owning large amounts of direct property, as in the actual building itself, as opposed to certain other super funds owning listed property. Mm. So there's even can be big mm. differences in the, the types of, uh, um, you know, assets within, within the same asset base. Mm. Yeah. Here's something that this article goes on with. Is another interesting thing. So, number one was thirteen point three percent, and the tenth place came in at nine point six percent return. But in the same article, they they said they also looked at what they call passive balanced options, which I think is their indexed um, options. And there was actually a fund that performed um, the best passive balance option, gave a twelve and a half percent return, <laughs> which actually, if they, it's not actually on this top ten list. But it would have come second according to the list. So I don't take the article for for what it is. I'm, yeah. I don't, I'm not really sure why. And then they've got sustainable options, and the number one sustainable option gave 13.3%, which is equivalent to the winner of this 
list, but they didn't make the top ten either. So I guess you can make a top ten around anything as yeah. well. You've got to have your, um, you know, what what are you looking at when you're picking your top ten? Yeah. Look, I think with so much of this in in principle, it's it's good to have a comparison, but just the, the practical use of it is fraught with danger. Like there's so many different options, considerations that go into what they're reviewing that I, I kind of worry as well as at one of those situations where everyone almost gets a prize as well. I think I think the important thing for, for, for readers is they make a decision based on a yeah. top ten list. So well, you, you think about it, we go around and say, right, hey, give us your, let's all pick our top ten NRL players of the last 20 years and we'll all have a different list. It's all, we've, we've got the same information, but we'll all come up with a different list. doesn't mean anyone's right or wrong. It's just this particular people's opinion, I guess. Yes. Uh, and, and the categories they look at. Now, I've got another article here from um, Colonial First State, and they, they put one out. They said delivers double digits for 2023 amid choppy markets. Um, and their balanced investment option returned, um, what they say here, 10.5%. Um, but they're not listed on that, that list either, and it would have actually given them fourth position. So, I don't know, take it what you win. You can Google and find any article to yeah. find a, a fund you like. Is, it, is that one more of a case where it matters who's doing the comparing there and who they're including in their comparisons, think do you so. think? Yeah. Yep. It, yep. It, there's a bias within that, do you think? Yeah, yeah. So, some of these uh, lists that do get put out each year because obviously there's a huge focus in Australia on employer super. Some of these lists they produce are purely funds that sometimes are used in the my super or default super sector. Mm. So there's many, many super funds available out there in the marketplace, many of which have nothing to do with employer or default super, mm. whereas some, some of these articles obviously are, are aimed at that employer supermarket, which a lot of the industry funds are involved in, in, in wanting to be a, a default or a my my super provider mm. so that that may be the reason for the difference in some of the articles mm. well do you only give us a bit of a so a lot of the the funds talk about the the funds that performed or worse not not mm. badly but not mm. as good had a high exposure to unlisted property because they their their values of that asset class mm. were, were written down what what what's that mean for the for listeners yep. so with a with a property um, like like owning a house yourself, I suppose your property, unlike shares and listed property, are not being valued uh, every single day of the week. So, with shares or what we often call listed property, there every time the share market is open, the value of that asset is being revalued every second of every day that the market is open. However, when you buy, when you own a property yourself, the main time you will look at the value of that property is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Uh, they're the two important points in time where you worry about what what your property is is valued at. Um, it's a little bit different when a when a superannuation fund does own a direct property. What happens is um, there are now rules around how often that property might need to be revalued so that on the books of the super fund, it is reflecting some sort of close to accurate valuation of, of that property. So, so definitely over the last couple of years, in terms of some things that happened with COVID and, and just various other things in the property market, including higher interest rates, um, a lot of commercial and industrial properties 
uh, in certain parts of Australia and definitely around the world have actually been written down. So the auditor uh, of, of the superannuation funds financials would request um, usually at least once every three years that revaluations of properties are done. So all of a sudden, you might have a large property that might have been worth, we'll just take, for example, um, $100 million for this particular property. But then three years later, because of changes like I've just said with COVID and interest rates and whatever, that commercial property, instead of being worth $100 million, now might only be worth $85 million. Mm. So all of a sudden, it went from being worth on paper um, a certain amount to all of a sudden, based on the recent financials, being worth 15% less. Now, that's just an example, but that's just explaining how that process works when you've got unlisted property and all of a huge a huge change in value of that property can happen all at once. Yep. Mm. And typically Horn how much of that unlisted property do you see in these you know reported balance funds like is it um we we've seen in a balance fund unlisted property may make up at the upper end somewhere between uh 5 to 10% of the value of the fund. Okay. Mm. So that, so there was one big industry fund that's been reported in the last month that at the end of last year was holding 51% of its default my super option in unlisted assets. Is that high? That, that is extremely, extremely high. Yeah. Uh, that, that's surprising. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and that, yeah, yeah. you know, from, from the example that you've just given, mm. if property values have potentially come down... Mm that could have lowered their rate of return significantly, right? Definitely, that would have a huge hit to the the rate of return for that year if all of a sudden you've written a property down, like I said before, using that example mm. of somewhere between 10 and 15%, mm. then that would have a yeah, massive impact on the returns of that year. Mm. Well, if they don't mm. have to value them in that year, it wouldn't affect. Yes. No, so, so on the flip side, <laughs> on, 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 the, on the flip side, when, when we've gone through some other years where mm. a lot of assets were down in value, say, say you know, the, the initial impact of COVID uh, in that very, very first uh, six months uh, where the whole world shut down, then obviously if you, you were in an asset at that point in time that you didn't have to revalue, on the flip side, these particular funds probably had a very yes. strong return in that particular year, but if they didn't have to revalue their assets. But yes, all of a sudden, if, if a revaluation is required and an asset has gone in value, then it is a it is a big change over a one-year period yeah. of it. Okay. Hmm. So, th- so that might suggest that you know, a comparison over maybe three years or a five-year period is, is actually oh. more appropriate? That would Particularly when you're trying to compare something that has unlisted assets or unlisted property as opposed to a fund that's pretty much buying fully listed assets in every sector, Mm. then yes, it would be very hard to compare them necessarily just from year to year due to the value of not having to actually have the assets revalued. Uh, uh, Yes, definitely probably something more from a five to seven year period is more accurate when you're trying to compare assets that need to be revalued as opposed to assets that are being valued every day. Yep. Yeah. Okay, boys. Now, I'll I'll tell you what I did. Once we got that article, went back and did a bit of Googling to try and get the top tens from previous years leading up to that um so i dug one out a media release best performing balance super funds of 2022 financial year so again this is one that was done by super rating so the same same of that did the 2023 one um and they have this sr sr 50 balanced index 
which tracks basically the performance of 50 funds. Mm. So you've got to be in these 50 funds to get in the top 10, obviously, um, with exposure to growth assets between 60 and 76%. So that's that balanced fund range. Um, now, a question for you, boys. How many do you reckon on the 2023 top 10 were on the 2022 top 10? In Based on their one-year return? Based on one year, one year sorry, return. yeah, yeah, just the one year return. So that, yep. So that the kings of twenty twenty three, top yep. ten of twenty twenty three. How many were also in the top ten of twenty twenty two for that twenty twenty two year? Uh, I'll make a guess. I'll go two. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go five. Two. Horny, you read the article, two. did you? No, there's two. The answer. Oh two. no, no, I did, no, there you go, there you go. The answer's two uh, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. top performing yeah, fund yeah. earning um, one point six percent. Yeah, lovely. Which is interesting considering 12 months later, the top performing fund at 13.3%. What else we got in there? One that made the list, Qantas, was on the 2022 fund that wasn't on the um, 2023. Um, But I guess the big thing for the 2022 years with the funds that had a higher exposure, say you had your balance fund, but you had a higher exposure to the defensive, like fixed interest and bonds, um, those markets around the world performed quite poorly. Um, and that's what brought um, those funds down for that for that year. So that that was interesting. So two made it. Um, what else we got? And then I went back to 2021. It's pretty hard to find a list for 2021, but they had the, the there was a best and worst list. Um, oh, sorry, there's another one in 2022, a best and worst list. Um, and their top five were completely different again. Right. So there's another. <laughs> <laughs> That's just another mob. And then the top 10 performing funds of 2020-21. So this is, where are we there? How many on the list? Okay, so the list of top 10 of 2023. How many of those funds were in the end of 2021? So two years prior. I'll guess one. I'll stick with two again. Zero. Zero, <laughs> zero, 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 and I suppose it just enforces what I suppose our, our investment philosophy has been here at Fowler's Group as well in terms of, you know, sticking to a long-term strategy um, and knowing that, you know, diversification is important and that, um, you know, markets will give the appropriate return over, over the long term. Um, it's, it's when you start trying to chop and change to try to chase a higher performing option, which is mm. what we can see in that bit of a history you've just given there, Chuck, in terms of who made the top 10 this year, who made the top 10 the yeah. year before and who made the top 10 the year before that, that it's extremely hard to pick anything based off yeah. what happened in the last 12 months. And if if people do start trying to do that or use that as some sort of basis of why they should invest in something, then that's that's fraught with danger and, and will usually get you, um, you know, not, not a great outcome. So yeah, I think it just reinforces what what we try to do with with our clients in in terms of of, of sticking to uh, a strategy and knowing that markets do work uh, over time and and taking on the appropriate amount of risk that that you know is is appropriate for that person. Hmm. 
What do you reckon, yeah. mate? Yeah, look, Horny just said it very well, but just yeah. no knee-jerk reactions. Mm. A, a one-year result leans, you know, very, very little in what we do. Um, I think people need to be, you know, just at least aware of the underlying assets within a lot of these funds as well that are producing these, you know, pretty good results at times for comparison's sake. Um, be, be aware of how your money is being mm. invested and just make sure that you're comfortable with the, you know, associated investment risk with it. Yeah, I think with these with these funds as well, and that I think that first article we had, it actually showed most of those funds in the top 10, I think they were actively managers. So that maybe that was what part of the criteria behind oh, the yeah. top 10 list that they, they did because in the same article they showed a passive, an index style fund that performed better, yeah. just as well. Yeah. <laughs> so these actively managed funds, and at some point in time, for example, for 2023, if they decided to take a larger weighting to global equities, then they would have picked it right and mm. that, that fund would have done done well but yeah i agree with you all don't chase last year's mm. winner because that's mm. what it is at that point in time and mm. those three articles or the three years that i showed they weren't done they weren't all done by the same rating agency either yeah. so it depends which article you read at that point in time as well um so thanks for the chat guys we'll uh, we'll have to get together in a couple of weeks time and have another discussion about further stuff but if anyone's got any questions Please send, uh, send them in via our Facebook page, the Wealth Radar Facebook page. You can post feedback, give us a like, um, and then uh, we'll be talking to you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, Daniel and Horndog. Sure, thank Thanks, you. Sure. This podcast is for informational purposes only and the information contained is of a general nature and may not be relevant to your particular circumstances. The circumstances of each investor are different and you should seek advice from a professional financial advisor who can consider if particular strategies and products are right for you. In all instances where information is based on historical performance, it is important to understand this is not a reliable indicator of future performance. You should not rely on any material on this podcast to make investment decisions and should seek professional advice.